Hi there, we're our Missionary Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today through the video, going over the sermon like we try to do each week together. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this next section, I guess, that we could focus on, or if you could break it down, is 1 through 10. Um, that we'll be in for a couple weeks, a few weeks together. Uh, this past Sunday, though, we focused really on verses 1 through 3 with just... Uh, Two words of verse 4 is all we hit on because next time that we're together, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 6, 4 through 7 um, about and spending our time there together. Uh, but Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 10 kind of balances off of Ephesians 1 where Ephesians 1 talks a lot about God and what he has done and the, the work that he, that he does. We spent a lot of time looking at that together. Ephesians 2 focuses a little more on humanity, starts to focus a little more on us. And verses 1 through 3 in particular could be difficult um, to swallow because it talks about the depth of sin that we have in our, in our life. And there's other places in Scripture that we can go to look at this. Romans 1 through 3 would probably be one of the main places that people would think about. And there's others as well to see... Um, how sinful we really are, how sinful humanity uh, really is. Now, that might not be shocking to people who've been in church a long time because the church oftentimes likes to cry out how sinful culture is, how sinful things are, and the ruin of it. And, you know, you hear this all the time. We got to get back to uh, following God's law and calling God. You hear that stuff pretty often. And so that tells me that we recognize sin. But I don't think we always fully grasp, as individuals, the depth of our sin. Because we like to point outside how sinful they are, and it seems to be easy for us to see that. But it can be hard for us to see the depth of, of our iniquity, the depth of our sin against, against God. And that's who we sin against. We sin against God, first and foremost. And <clears throat> verses 1 through 3, here in Ephesians chapter 2, walk us through our sin. Uh, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which in which you once walked. And so that's important because, first of all, Paul's writing to a church and he's reminding them, you were dead. You're not any longer because Christ has saved you, has brought you to life, has given you this new life that he talked about some in chapter 1. And so it's a reminder of where you were. Um, but it's your sin that causes this death it says, following the course of this world, and so we'll talk about that some, our sin nature, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So looking at um, following Satan is what this is referencing, the power of the air uh, there. And then among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And so then our desires, living out our, our desires that we want, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so then focusing a little bit on that phrase, children of wrath, and, and what that means. Uh, when I started the message, though, uh, Sunday, I, I said right up from the beginning, we will hear the best news we've ever heard, the best, the best thing that we've ever heard. You know, when I was writing the sermon, I was trying to think of like some of the best news that I've ever heard, and it's hard to answer questions like that on the spot. So I'm not trying to put you guys on the spot, but... A lot of times the best news that you ever heard is because not just of the news itself, but the situations that have come before in your life that now lead to 
this great news. So to give a very silly example, I know this is, is, is silly. It's not great news on a trip to say, hey guys, we're going to stop and use the bathroom. But it is for the guy who really has to go to the bathroom. You know, it's like, yes, you're maybe trying to be quiet in the back because you don't want to be the person to make everyone you don't stop. Be the weak link. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to stop real quick. I'm going to get some gas. And you're like, this is the best news I've heard in a long time because I go to the bathroom. But your situation caused that to be really good news. Um, for some couples, hey, honey, I'm pregnant is really good news. For others, it's not very good. It's not very good news, right? So when we're looking at what we talked about here uh, in Ephesians, the only way, verse 4, which says, which, said, which we'll get to, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We'll stop there. The only way that that is the best news for somebody to hear is if they fully understand and grasp that verse 1 through 3 mm-hmm. is talking directly about them. Can you guys maybe explain that a little more? I tried to do it a little bit in the sermon. Maybe you guys can think of a, a better way or a good way to enhance that or to help that along. Why do you need both? Why do you need, why do you need the, the bad, I guess, so to speak, in order to fully grasp the good? Of what scripture is teaching here. Yeah, I mean, I think um, they go hand in hand. Um, I remember uh, one of my seminary profs who quoted a, uh, I believe he was talking about a famous theologian uh, by the name of John Murray, who said, basically, you go out and <laughs> you go tell them that the bad news is worse than they could ever believe, but the good news is better than they could ever believe. Mm-hmm. as well. And that's the truth. The gospel will only be as good as the law is severe. And so if the, the you know, if we don't think our sin and misery is that bad, then the gospel doesn't have to be that good. But if my situation is as Paul says here that I'm dead, then what I need is a resurrection. <laughs> To save me, I need something amazing to happen, and that's what he gives us in four through through ten. So yeah, they go hand in hand, and and in the past the church called this the law and the gospel. You have to preach God's commands, which accuse us because I have not kept and conformed to His law. But then the gospel tells me not what God commands me to do, but what He has done and promises He will be for me. And so when we put those hand in hand and, and keep those within those definitions, um, that shows us the clear path of salvation. And we can get in danger if we start muddling those um, and, uh, and, and softening law, then we'll soften the gospel. So, yeah, I think they go hand in hand, and, and Paul seems to, to think so as well in his epistles and yeah. in his preaching. Mm-hmm. So there's a great danger, uh, first of all, if you just— Focus on the law all the time. So mm-hmm. if all we did was come into church and preach Ephesians two one through three, and then next week we're going to go to Romans one through one through three, and then we're going to look at Psalm fifty one and just focus on like the first part of it. All we're doing is focusing on sin. There's a problem with that mm-hmm. because you start to uh, do on your own this work to mm-hmm. overcome your sin. Mm-hmm. You're always trying to obey the law. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been lis- I've been listening to scripture 
in my car. And it's different than reading it, which is interesting. But uh, for the past month, uh, Leviticus has been a part of that reading plan. And the only thing that comes to my mind when I hear Leviticus, which probably should be more than just this, but is this is impossible. Like they're talking about all this stuff and I'm confused just listening to it. Like all the different things the priests are supposed to do and this and this type of sacrifice and this. And if it's a guilt offering, if it's a praise offering, and I'm like, I mean, really, I sit there and think there's no way. I actually thought this and I thought, well, yeah, of course, that's true. You've preached this many times. Like there's no way anybody did that right, (laughs) you know, from the very get go. And I have to imagine Aaron is getting this from Moses like, what? (laughs) How am I going to do all this? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, how are we going to accomplish yeah. this? And you see pretty quick, priests die. They didn't obey yeah. it. Boom, dead. Right. Disobeyed it, right? And right. and so it just brings about this sense, at least in me, of impossible. This is impossible, mm-hmm. right? But then on the flip side, there's a big danger to only focus on God is love and God is mercy and God is caring because that will attract people to it, but it doesn't have staying power because like you said, it becomes a watered down love. It becomes a watered down mercy. Merciful from what? Right. I'm not that bad of a person. You know, I mean, I go to work and I pay my taxes and I have a family. I mean, yeah, I might do this and do that or look at that or watch this, but that's I'm not really hurting anybody, you know? And so the mercy becomes shallow. It becomes weak. And then when people start to face something tough in life or they do something bad they have a crisis moment because it's not well balanced with who they really were apart from christ or who they are apart from christ paul does not mince his words and you were dead mm-hmm. that's how he starts the section right. he doesn't walk them through sin and then at the end of 15 verses say right. therefore you see you were dead right this is how he starts it right I want you to know you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, that really makes it a big deal when you see later that Christ gives you life and brings you alive. I went from death, I've went from death to life. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You got anything to add? I was just going to say, I mean, what, two things. The, the hitting sin hard is like you had even mentioned in your sermon is never fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I think sometimes our primary worry is about making f- people feel bad. But I think actually when you do that, at least for some, like you had mentioned earlier, like for some people this is the best news ever uh, or part of the best news ever because I think there's actually a lot of people that already know that yeah, uh, mm-hmm. in their minds. Like they know that they're not perfect. and But the message that they're hearing from the world is do better, get better. Pull yourself up. Don't make those mistakes. Or if you have made those mistakes, there's no coming back from that. And so I think in Christianity, when we recognize our fallen nature and just how bad we are, I think in a sense that's kind of relieving Mm. for some people Mm. to, to be able to realize what I have felt my whole life, that I can't be perfect, is actually the truth. Yeah. And that's relieving mm-hmm. to know that and freeing to know yeah. that, mm-hmm. especially we've talked about this before in the context of being in a church where we are able to bring whoever it is in despite the mistakes they've made. Mm-hmm. People come to church with their guard up because they feel like they have to be perfect. They feel like they have to do that. When in fact, if you're preaching this, 
They're able to recognize. They know. They already know I'm not perfect, and so I don't have to try to yeah. fool anybody here. Right. Um, so that's number one. And then what you had kind of alluded to, like this. If you don't preach sin, there is no need for the cross. There is no need for the gospel anymore. There is no need for salvation. Mm-hmm. You, it, everything eventually does crumble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me ask stu- you this. Let me ask you this. I think you, you'll, you'll answer this. Yeah. Why is Paul bringing this up to the church, though? Because they've they believed in the cross. They've accepted it. So why does why do you think Paul feels the need to tell the church to this? Don't shouldn't we tell those people out there this? Why why do I need to hear this? Why do you need to hear this? I think we all need reminders. I mean, number there's all kinds of responses I could give that, but I mean, number one, we all need reminders of what's going on, uh, especially when he's going to start getting to the practical outworkings of our faith. Like mm-hmm. towards the end, he's in verse 10, you'll get to this uh, in your sermons, but being created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And then once he starts getting into chapter three and four and five and six, going into how how do we now live as Christians? Well, we don't simply just try to work and do good, but he's, I think, laying a foundation of it is not of the good that we have done or can do. We are, ev- we are even able to live that because we are alive. We were mm-hmm. dead, but now we are alive. And mm-hmm. he's not, you know, the later chapters verses or chapters four through six of Ephesians are not, um, this is how a, a good person lives. Mm-hmm. It is, this is how a resurrected person mm-hmm. lives. Um, and so I think that's what he's getting to uh, and, and part of the reason, at least, yeah. why he's laying this. But what I was going to say is that if you if you don't preach sin, if there is no need, true need for salvation, eventually you reject the cross and the need for a substitution, mm-hmm. substitutionary atonement that Christ mm-hmm. accomplished for us, and you begin to question even the character of God. Why would God kill His Son mm-hmm. if it was not absolutely necessary? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you lose the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's it's it's extremely important. Which leads to what you're talking about in your youth uh, classes coming up about progressive Christianity. Yes. And I mentioned that a little bit in my sermon. I don't remember where I mentioned it exactly because I wasn't planning on it. Yeah. But with the deconstruction of their what are the deconstruction stories yeah. that they call them, and not everybody is deconstructing their faith and saying they're leaving the faith, mm-hmm. but some are. Yeah. But but what you see is what you just said. It seems like. Christians who have stopped looking at sin and realizing that they actually still sin and they actually every day need the gospel. They need this in their life every single day to where they start to think differently of God as just a loving father Mm -hmm. or just somebody who cares for everybody. And that's when they start to ask the questions like, if God is really who he says he is, how could he be mad at anyone? How could he be mad at this person because yeah. they a guy loves a guy? Yeah. Or a girl is a girl. And what they would, what the phrase that they would use, they start to think of the atonement differently mm-hmm. of what was actually happening on the cross. And the the way we preach the cross of Jesus as a substitute sacrifice for us on our behalf, where he takes our our sin, we take his righteousness, this idea, they, they would reject that because there's no need for that right. anymore. Mm-hmm. And they would actually see that, the, the phrase they would use is cosmic child abuse mm-hmm. that God is doing at that point. He is mm-hmm. murdering. If God is doing that, then he's murdering his son. He's abusing his son. And mm-hmm. that could, God could, my God could never do that. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the witness of Scripture is that that is what God did. Right, um, right. And um, But you just see the importance of the balance, like we're talking about. That's why it's good that this comes up. I mean, is the need to understand our sin all the time. So I think this is how the Christian life kind of works. I need to understand my sin all the time, every day. But I don't need to be held down by guilt and shame in the sin because I understand what Christ has accomplished for me. It, it doesn't make me push my sin away or make me say, um, well, it's not a big deal then if I sin. No, it is a big deal because he actually died for my sin. I don't want to sin. I want to obey him. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. But I understand mm-hmm. that I do still sin, right? And it's a very real serious thing that I need, even as a Christian, mm-hmm. I need to repent of uh, often uh, be before him. And I think that's just getting lost in the world in a segment of the church, if I can call it that, that is very visible uh, in media. And so a lot of people watching this and a lot of older people, I would say, even people my age and up might not see this happening as much, but our kids are definitely seeing it. Our teens, our college age are living where these deconversion stories are everywhere. Um, a lot of Christian musicians have come out with deconversion stories. Lead singers of bands that we know, that you hear their songs and you love them. One of the bands was a band we had at the fair at our Christian concert. What was the band's name? You told me. Hawk, Hawk, Hawk Nelson. Nelson. Hawk Nelson. Yeah, Hawk Nelson. Yeah, there's, there's a number of them I had to remember. Yeah, but there was it their lead singer or something? Someone was, in their band? It was their, yeah, it was Not a Christian singer. anymore, atheist, and they have a deconversion story. And this is why, and it goes along the lines of what we're talking about here. Um, and so it, that's, that's why this is very important to, to know and to understand, but also to not be ashamed of, because I mentioned this in the message too. Um, this is the only message we really have to give to people. If we take the fact that people need to repent before a holy God and for them to understand that this holy God actually sent his son to die in their place. That's how much love he has and mercy. If we start to take that away from our message, then we might as well just be a social club. We might as well just be like the Moose Lodge or, you know, a bowling, a bowling league or yeah. something. Um, because nothing has, nothing has changed. There's tons of groups out there who do good things in our world. They give food to people. They raise money for cancer patients. Right, there's all kinds of groups out there that are worthy causes to sit and to serve on, I would right. say. But that's not the church is different. We are a different uh organization because our main focus and our main message is that sin has been dealt with by Christ on the cross. That's what we have. Okay. And so we have to tell people that they sin, but we also tell them there's a solution and it's not found within them. Uh-huh. It's found in him. Uh-huh. Um, but it's easy for us to get, uh, what's the word? It's easy for us, I guess, to get lost in the good things, I would say. Uh, you and I were having a conversation this morning, and I really do believe this. I think the number one idol in the church is family. I know that sounds weird, and I know to a lot of people, they're going to be like, what? The Bible talks about family. Yeah, I think family is a good thing, but I think we abuse it to the point to where we actually use it for a lot of sin in our life, of laziness, of different stuff, of selfishness, of ambition, just just some things uh, that 
I really think is evident, and I really see it mostly in the church. Uh, again, family is a really good thing. The Bible speaks of it. I would encourage people to love their family and be a part of their family, but we can take that good thing to where this morning I was listening to a sermon, and the person said uh, that some churches actually label themselves as family-centered churches. And he said, never go to that church. It should be a Christ-centered church, <laughs> not a family-centered church. If you want a family-centered church, become a Mormon. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, mm-hmm. you can you can hang out together for eternity unless <laughs> someone disobeys the rules. That's but, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I really appreciated Scott said um, was that this is, uh, in a strange way, one through three, if understood rightly, is strangely good news yeah yeah because if you think if you think your problem is is that your ship is doing pretty good you just got a few leaks and you're just sticking bubble gum to patch the holes and you're taking your fingers of your sin and to keep them together then all you need is jesus to come help you patch those few holes the, the allurement is is then we say well i don't need to hear about my sin i just want to come to church and hear about how good some general good feeling is the reality is is you're coming because you want to feel good but you're actually gonna leave you may feel good for a little while but you won't feel the relief of the weight being pulled off your shoulders because you're still you're realizing there's more leaks springing all the time mm-hmm. in the boat the message of one through three is the boat has sunk yeah, yeah your you're, boat, the you're, boat sunk and you've gone down with it yeah and what you need is not somebody to come in. You can't patch all the holes. Christ has come to bring the ship up and to make it brand new. Yeah. He's gone down for us and he's done it all. The strange thing is, is that if we want to lessen the effect of one through three, we actually put more weight upon ourselves to save ourselves in a strange way. If we let one through three stand as is, then we let God save us and we trust mm-hmm. him. And then we do, like Scott said, I love what you said. This is what a resurrected person lives. Now go and live for God because mm-hmm. he's done all for you. Um, and I think that whenever we come to church, that we've talked about that before here, that this, uh, this is helpful for people who are coming from the outside. When they hear us honestly confessing sin and talking about sin, <clears throat> it's comforting for them to hear. We're not ignoring our problem. Second of all, I think... I've heard it said, and I think there's a certain way we can say this, helpfully, is we come to church every Sunday to be forgiven, to hear you tell us that Jesus Christ has done it again and offers us this forgiveness from all of this problem that we have. That should be comforting to Christians. Um, Jesus said at the very end of John 20, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold them, they are withheld. What he's talking about is go and proclaim who I am and what I did to the whole world and to each other still in the church about what I've done and what this remission, the amnesty, the forgiveness of your sins, the cleansing that's available. Why wouldn't you want to hear that? Why wouldn't you want to hear about your problem within the cleansing and the power now to live a holy life? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, within the church, like the, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the, or at least I did about how that, that seems good to outsiders. But if you think about like the church, if, if Christians that are part of our church see, the grace that they have received from God as being not that big of a deal mm. and cheap in a sense, cheap grace, that that leads to cheap worship yeah. and cheap Christian living. Mm. And it does not lead to a resurrected life. Mm. 
in that sense. But if, if we, if when we come together to worship on Sunday mornings, we understand we were dead. We are only alive because of what God has done in his great grace and his great mercy towards us. That, that leads to uh, better worship. Mm-hmm. Better, better is not the right word there, oh, but right. it, it leads to... Um, correct worship. Correct worship. <laughs> um, it results in their, you seeing a, a bigger God that is more worthy of worship, mm. and, and you will worship him, and mm-hmm. it will... It, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to find the words to say, but I think my point's getting yeah. across. And I think, too, what you say, too, is and there's, there's something we have heard it said. Um, how we live, how we worship is going to determine how we live. We often think of the outside. How what I live out here is going to impact the way I worship. And I think that's true. But the way we worship, what we say in the church, how what we hear, what songs we sing, the prayers we pray, what we pray about, that is going to impact the way we live our lives. Am I going to approach my children, like you said, and say, well, you should be obeying. Well, the Bible tells me they're dead. So I want them to obey, and they ought to obey, but I'm also now going to be approaching them with a bit more grace, understanding they've got the same messed up heart I do. And all those other unbelievers all around me, we've all got this same problem. So I'm not acting, I'm not surprised by sin anymore and irritated in the sense in which I'm surprised by it. They're just being sinners. Mm-hmm. But there's a great Savior who can save them. Yeah, and it doesn't water down sin. It shouldn't, right? To where no. we're just like, ah, sin, you know, they're going to sin, whatever, right. where we don't care. Right. So like no. I mentioned in the message about it's not the church job of the church to end abortion or to stop human trafficking or any of this stuff. Those are worthy causes to be a part of, though. Mm-hmm. Like that is something where you should have a voice to say, we stand against these Correct. things because Scripture speaks speaks of this. But that's just... It's not the main task of the church, but it is still something that we can speak to them and even be appalled by. Like, this is, this is frustrating that this continues to happen. How can we not see it? And right. we're grieved over it. Right. But it doesn't mean we're necessarily surprised right. by it. I right. mean, this is, it, right. I mean, sadly, it might get worse, you know, and, and we can't necessarily be surprised if that's what happens and that takes place because as we see, sin leads to more sin, which leads to deeper, 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 deeper sin. We, we see that in scripture. Well, I mean, Paul's pretty pointed. We didn't really get too much in the verses, but Paul's pretty pointed where he, when talking about our sin, talking about how, one, we have, we have this sin nature in us where it's what we do. I mean, we, we are sinners and we inherit, we get this from Adam, our father Adam, who sinned from the very beginning because of that sin is in the world. And so all we have seen is sin. That's all we know. We see sin and we see death, sin, death, sin, death, all throughout the centuries. Uh, and we still see it uh, today as well. Uh, but then after that, <clears throat> Paul, if that was enough, Paul would then say how we are servants of Satan, how we serve the power and the spirit of the air. And it really, Paul really speaks of Satan as a very powerful being in this way. We know that Satan is a created being, but there seems to be a great power there to where he has some control over where we live right now, here, the here and now, and how people follow him. And it's hard, I think, I think it's hard for us to hear that because there still is something appalling today if you hear somebody say, I worship Satan. Like, I've heard that a few times in my life, and it's still like, what? You would, like, say that and readily want everyone to know that? Like, that's weird. I still think it's that way, but... Scripture is very blatant and very clear about it. Even Jesus himself, as we read, as I read, like to say, 
you serve your father, Satan. If you don't believe in me, that's who your father is. That's who you serve. And so apart from Christ, we have this master in Satan who we honor, really, and who we live our lives who we live our lives for, and we're slaves to him, the Bible says. We are slaves to our sin, and we are slaves to him, which then brought up the question that I asked, well, then how can I be held responsible? Because it sounds like at this point, I can put blame on Adam, and I can put blame on Satan. Some might even say I can put blame on God, because God created Adam, God created Satan, I'm actually not at fault here. That's I'm what not, Adam said. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what <laughs> Right? It's the woman you gave me. Yeah. And so we get to this point to ask the question, how can I be held responsible? Well, Paul has something for that too. He says, you live according to the passions of your flesh. You love, you love sinning. You love it. And I felt like when it got to that point in the message, people were kind of hesitant to accept that. And I'm not, I never put examples down in my notes. I, I probably have really horrible notes actually when I'm up there. Um, but the best thing I could think of at the moment was how we bait people so that we can get angry with them. Yeah, you referenced the last thing that you did to Amanda. What was that? Yeah. And dishes. <laughs> dishes. Leaving, that, leaving dishes. a dish out. Yeah. Listen, we don't have away. a kitchen right now, so <laughs> I'm out. I'm out on that. Uh, but no, I. I mean, I've done that before. I, I think every. You know, I'm not going to get gas. I'm going to see if she's ever going to get gas. No, not getting get gas again. Well, walk home. You know, like you want to act like, and that's just. What is that? I mean, what drives that is is sin, is selfishness. Like we could name all these right. sort of things. But I think all of us are guilty of this to some to some degree in our life. And it shows it shows me how much I enjoy that. Like right. the being right aspect or the gotchas or whatever it is. And all that is is sin in our heart that I hope proves to people and shows us we really do love sinning. We really love putting ourselves on the throne and directing our own life and kind of having God as like, as like a, uh, not a mentor, but as some, oh, some, a person who's wise, who I will take their advice sometimes, but I actually sit on the throne of Tim. And so I like this aspect of what you're telling me, but I don't like this. Or right now I really like this. And I know you say not to do it, but I'm going yeah. to do it. Yeah. I kind of think, I mean, you're, thinking of an example of like how we treat God. I mean, it's almost like a, a grandchild that's living in rebellion, doing whatever they want, living however they want, but always going back to that grandparent that will bail them out of it <laughs> mm-hmm. financially or with a place to live or something like that every single time. Yeah, And that's how we treat God. Mm-hmm. We want to continue living in our rebellion, but when we need help mm-hmm. and we, we need a bailout, we go to God. Yeah. And God is supposed to do that because God is loving. Right. And so when someone in the family gets sick, we we don't have any problems putting on the prayer chain. Pray for my family, but I don't really want to go to church on Sunday. I don't really want to read the Bible. I don't really want to like, you know, but I need him to heal my my grandpa or my father, you know, or I need this. And yeah, we just use him in this way, which shows the love that we have for ourselves, which shows our guilt. You know what I mean? It shows the guilt that we have that is on us, that when we die and we stand before God, there's no way to blame our sin on Satan. We can't blame our sin on Adam. I can't blame my sin on God. There's one direct place the sin falls, and it's on me. Mm -hmm. It's on my shoulders, and it's too heavy. Mm -hmm. It's too heavy to bear. Mm -hmm. And so as we grasp this together, verses 1 through 3, 
it leads us then what I said was like the two best words in scripture. And I think that's said a lot. Whenever we pre- you can go, go into Esther. I think this is the best section of the Bible here. You can go all over and say that. And that's good because there's a lot of, there's truth all throughout the Bible. But when we see that, that little phrase there, you know, but, but God. It's a contrast. Yeah. In it's contrast like, to what you've just heard. Yeah. But God. And it yeah. feels really good, especially if you read the rest, because it doesn't say. And you say but it with a Welsh God. accent. You say it with and a British accent. You say it with accent. a Welsh yeah, accent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it doesn't say, and may, and this is why I read it at the end. It doesn't say, "But God annihilates everybody." Yeah. <laughs> That's not anything like that. But God is rich in mercy, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden, we see these great truths about God, which then you stand there comparing verses one through three through verses four through ten, and you're like, "This does not add up." This doesn't make sense. And I've talked to people who struggle with this. Honestly, they really struggle with it because they say, I believe I'm this sinful. I believe I'm dead in my trespasses. But it's hard for me to believe that mm-hmm. God would do something about it. Mm-hmm. Why would he? And that really is a good question. Right. But the Bible tells me he does it because of his great love right. that he has. And, and even then, our hesitancy <clears throat> to believe this about God is the greatest sin of all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what Luther Hart argued, that the greatest sin of all is unbelief. Mm-hmm. Shows. Even, well, I think that would be even, the thing of the Holy Spirit that the New Testament speaks right. about, of, of rejecting the Holy Spirit and this yeah. blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's who moves and ca- right. stirs you to belief, right? Yeah. Opens your eyes. No, I don't believe this. Right. I can't believe. That's what you're doing. Right. No, I wouldn't be that good. So why would God ever do that? Mm-hmm. God's not. No, actually, God is a lot better than us. Yeah. He's just mm-hmm. that good. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to find out, do the verbs here, um, do a little grammar here. You are, we are all active in, um, you know, in two through three, walking in the, mm-hmm. we're doing, we are active. God's the one who's active in those verses. God made us alive, raised us up, seated us with him. Yep. Uh, God does all the work in four through 10 gives us the works, even the good works that are, he prepares them for us mm-hmm. to now walk in them. Um, and then we do have the, uh, the uh, commands that we're supposed to live the resurrected life in four through six. Um, but there's a wonderful contrast even in, in who does the subjects of who's doing these verbs in one through three contrasted with four through 10. And that's the gospel. I've messed it up completely. He did it all for me. And, um, it's just a great example of what the Christian message is because so often the Christian message could be like what we we're talking about therapy, but God, then oftentimes the salvation will be, well, but God came and gave me 10 principles by which he can help me live a better life. Yeah. But God came mm-hmm. and, and showed me a better way. <laughs> no, he, he raised you. Yeah. And so it'd be easy to look at scripture that way, even in Ephesians, because yeah. when we get to chapters, uh, to the end, right? Four, five, and six, there's a lot of, do there's a lot of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be this type of dad and be this type of husband and be this type of church member and be this type of citizen yeah. we see this to where it'd be easy to just flip to those passages without a firm grasp of the first couple chapters and say look at these principles god has us live mm-hmm. by and it'll be good if you do if you right. love your wife like this if you do this and is that true yeah it is good but it's only good in light of Mm-hmm. understanding you were dead, right? but then God stepped in, rich in mercy, right? Ab- abounding in grace, all these things. 
and he raises you up. He gives you life. He makes you alive. Mm-hmm. He has a job for you. He has a task for mm-hmm. you. And that, so all this is in light of that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to grasp it all because if you, if you take away those first few chapters and just start teaching me versus our chapters four, five, and six, here's what I'm going to find out really quick. I can't be that type of husband. I can't, I can't love my life, my wife like Christ loved the church. I don't, I can't sacrifice for her all the time because gosh, I, I don't want to eat fried chicken every day or whatever. That's all she's going to eat. I, I want to eat and I, I want my preferences. I want this. I want that. And you start to realize you're not willing actually to give up everything for your wife. Like scripture says that you should. And so then you're right back into that law mode of saying, like you said, of patching the holes, mm-hmm. but I'm running out of fingers. Right. And chicken legs. Yeah, chicken. You could use chicken legs. Yeah, <laughs> I actually love fried chicken. I could probably eat it almost every day. Okay, all right. Just, that wasn't a okay, that wasn't okay. a personal example. Uh, okay, right. that's what you guys think and try to read. Yeah, it. clean the no, dishes it, for the chicken. It wasn't. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying is it starts to become all this law yeah. again, and the yeah. seven principles that you give me actually are too heavy for me. Right. And right. the ten principles are this is how you actually have a powerful prayer life. Do these things, and it's right. like I am over. Bur- I can't do this. And so then I, I guess I just don't live up to God. I don't live up to his standard. Right. And that's why, I mean, sadly, you see people walking away from the church because right. that is what their faith has been based on. Right. They walk along. away They walk away because they feel overburdened, and they walk away because the moment it comes out, whether in some kind of event or conversation or something, the moment it comes out who they, who they truly are as a sinner, mm-hmm. it leads to embarrassment and shame. Yeah. And so they leave, and they never come back. Mm-hmm. And try to start over again. Yeah. When, man, wouldn't it just be better if we could be honest about how each other are so fallen and sinful and in need of grace and forgiveness? Mm-hmm. And we would be able to show each other that yeah. grace and forgiveness the way we've received it. And that Christ. it's there. The grace and forgiveness is there. It's there in Christ for us. Mm-hmm. And as a church family, we've come together under that banner of we have been given this grace. We have by faith received this grace. Mm-hmm. And now... We are alive together trying to live this out in community as the body of Christ, as God has commanded us to do. With our faults, with our failures, we're going to bear our burdens with each other because Scripture says to do that. We're going to share our joys with each other because Scripture tells us to do that. It's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable at times, but it's all done in light of His grace Mm -hmm. of what He's done. And we're going to give grace to each other Mm -hmm. uh, because of that. That's really how Scripture goes out. Well... Do you have something else? No, that's great. I look forward to uh, getting to do the next verses, uh, four through six or seven. And then I don't know if I'll be preaching eight through ten or somebody else. Uh, But anyways, Scott was going to, but I don't think he can now. He bailed on me. Did you know that? Oh. Now everybody does. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say thanks. He said, I don't want to preach. He's like, I don't want to preach anymore. Okay, Okay, whatever. We'll talk about it at work. (laughs) We'll talk about it at work. (laughs) I'm just going to forgive you for that, Lego. I recognize your fallen nature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But anyways, uh, but that's where we'll be next week. So read that, uh, verses 4 through, like I said, 6, 7, somewhere around there. Uh, And I look forward to it. So glad you were with us. Hope the video was helpful, brings up some discussion. I hope you have a blessed week. God bless.